Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Good evening, good afternoon, folks. No matter where in the heck in the world you are, it's V the Girl Economist coming to you live on this edition of V for Vellas. Uh, we have with us the one and only Dark Raven of the Deep State himself, the one and only pronunciator of all things dark secrets, the one and only Vellas with us. You can find him over at the Discord in Rogue News. Uh, if you need to get into the Discord room, just email CJ which is uh, cj at roguenews.com, cj at roguenews.com, and he will let you in. And with that being said, Vela's Dark Lord, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I know you have a lot of things for, for us today. You got some uh, Peter Zeehan stuff. You got oh, yeah. a lot of litany of things to cover, so by all means, take us down into the deep end of the pool and drown us. Yeah, let's. Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite lines from the movie R uh, I P P D or no, terrible, sorry. Yeah, R I P P D, uh, a wonky movie, but it had its moments uh, with the ghost that looked like Elvis. Let's do this. Um, so we got a number of items to cover today, and we're gonna we're gonna. There was a lot of coverage this week of of Peter Zehan, so I wanted to weigh in on that on that topic, and it will lead us to other things. So. With that said, uh, in the spirit of transparency, uh, thanks to someone on the YouTube channel from last week, uh, I have a correction from last week's program. Uh, I referenced the French philosopher Descartes for the quote about America being good in her churches. Uh, I was incorrect. That was a different French philosopher during the same period. That was de Tocqueville. That was not Descartes. Uh, for those of you who answered de Tocqueville on the exam, I will be correcting your answers and you'll get credit for that. Um, my quote about it will be the end of the Republic when Americans realize they can vote money from the Treasury is rather complicated. Uh, a number of people have attributed that to de Tocqueville, but yet no one can find that in any of his writings. Other people say Ben Franklin said it, uh, but that also is hard to find. There was an Oklahoma newspaper in 1951 who used that quote, and nobody's been able to really find it since. So... Uh, the net of it is, is uh, it was not Descartes, it was de Tocqueville, and as far as Americans voting themselves money out of the national treasury, I don't know who said it, but it was a great, it was a great comment. Hmm. Um, archaeology news: uh, Randall Carlson, he's the very bearded guy 
who has his own little channel on YouTube. He's one of the folks that's in the uh, Graham Hancock universe, along with others. Uh, I've mentioned him before. Um, Randall is the guy who's got a heavy background in geology and similar, and especially when it comes to the Western United States uh, and research uh, regarding the the fast melt um, like after when the ice age was coming to an end about 10,000 years ago, that the, his, one of his big areas has been that the level of damage caused to that area geographically is beyond a slow melting of the ice sheets, that it was, it was very fast, uh, as well as that the glaciation occurred very quickly. He's been uh, a big one for pointing out that, and this is true, uh, they found uh, both in Russia and in uh, modern-day Russia and uh, North America, including Canada and the United States, uh, they have found frequently uh, in the permafrost um, uh, woolly rhinos and uh, woolly mammoths and all forms of woolly beasts from that era who literally were in the middle of eating and were like froze flashing, you know, flash frozen cold. It right always there. blows my mind, man. And so, yeah, Carlson's a guy who who covers that. Now, for many years... Randall was a guy who was mentioned in Graham Hancock books, or he was mentioned in Robert Schock books, or, you know, History Channel programs at two o'clock in the morning where somebody might say, oh, Randall Carlson's been working this material. Randall also has his little show on on YouTube. What kind of caught my attention was, um, what do you call it? Uh, oh, and then Randall recently appeared on that uh, Netflix program uh, that, that Graham Hancock did actually did apocalypse. Right. Um, so I posted a link on the Velas page on Sunday, January 1st. I know that was a while ago, uh, to the bit shoot site where you can see this interview, but, uh, the net, the net of it is, is that, um, Randall appeared recently on Tucker Carlson, uh, no relation. Um, but I was kind of blown away that Tucker Carlson on top of some of the people he's been interviewing of late, delved into what's near and dear to our hearts, which is the alternative uh, angles of archaeology, which are many. Uh, but the mere fact that he got that kind of airtime with Tucker Carlson certainly raised an eyebrow with me. Um, I had to kind of ponder this because it's like literally in the course of one week, this is no joke, uh, Tucker Carlson drops the hand grenade on his thoughts on John F. Kennedy and claims that he's got somebody who's seen the materials that haven't been made public and that the CIA was was involved, of course, what what does the word involved mean, but was involved in some fashion in, in killing the former president. And then alternative disaster theory and archaeology on Tucker Carlson with Randall Carlson in the same week. Uh, that's that's a lot. So I did kind of wonder what the hell is going on <laughs> uh, that we've got that level of coverage all all uh, all in one sitting to quote from the movie Snatch. Um, just a thought. Um, this has also been in the news of late because uh, the Republican-controlled House uh, passed a resolution in the past day or two where they've said that U.S. embassies and U.S. government uh, offices in foreign countries can no longer fly uh, BLM flags. Um, do we still have social injustice and issues with law enforcement in certain parts of the United States? Yes. So where is Antifa and BLM? Uh, recall my comments about the protests in 2020 and 2021. Hey, Velas, here, yes, here's sir. the thing, though. That whole BLM flag is a moot point. The BLM flag has been uh, uh, amalgamated to the broader pride flag, which if you were to stare at it too long, you'd probably you know, develop epilepsy, and they're going to add a butthole to that uh, the, uh, the, the pride flag. There's a, there's a stylized... Uh, 
a butthole that's being that's going to put in the middle. So that's going to be their stars and stripes, or their starfish and stripes. But go ahead. You know, you, you remind me, my friend, of, of people who uh, show up at news conferences and say things that sound just close yeah, enough to reality that yeah. every reporter in the room is like, wait a minute, is that for real? Yeah. <laughs> There's a guy who used to call it to news shows that, that would do that all the time. I forgot what his name was. You mentioned him before. It was hilarious. He was like a professional prankster. He would call up news agencies, and they literally put him on in live TV, and they're like, wow. And then they, then they realize it's, later on it's a complete fabricated hoax. <laughs> yeah, you. It's uh, it's like the two guys in Russia that keep calling famous people, saying they've got oh uh, Vladimir Putin on line one. Um, <laughs> so, if you'll all recall my comments about the protests in 2020 and 2021, uh, that in what caught my attention, and I've mentioned this before, many of those took place in cities where traditionally protests like that do not occur. Um, now, did we recently in the past week have a 118-year-old church get torched to the ground in Portland by a left-wing activist? Yes. Um, certain folks in the media are now claiming that Antifa's activism is continuing but in different ways, which in my usual Vellus way of looking at these things was, okay, where, how, in what way? Um, so all of you activists woke up one morning and decided violent street protests are no longer your thing. Uh, I would direct us all back to the show I did where I brought up my whole commentary about the anti-Vietnam uh, war protests from the 1960s into the early 1970s. It went on for nearly 10 years. But speaking the language of the commercial sector, what did it accomplish? Did the United States withdraw from Southeast Asia? No. Were there changes in U.S. foreign policy? No. Did we stop massive spending on weapons development? No. So why did you keep protesting? And who was funding it? Uh, eight is enough. I'm dating myself a bit with this one. Um, but it, it relates due to some of the content I'm going to get into a little later. The actor who played the young boy in the TV show Eight is Enough passed away this week. Uh, his name was Adam Rich. Did he die suddenly? Well, no. It's complicated. His agent and publicist was a guy named Jeff Ballard. And Ballard has been accused in several venues of, say it with me, procuring and grooming kids for years. Now, Ballard, uh. yeah, Ballard has some excellent web forensics resources who've been cleaning up stuff on the Internet, not to be indelicate, but given some of the people and places I've worked, I can tell when someone is, usually I can tell when somebody is scrubbing the Internet. And this guy is having people scrub the Internet. So this topic's a little tricky, and we have to be exceedingly cautious when it comes to this. I have personal knowledge of someone I know who was nationally demonized because it enabled wargaming out what does and does not work when you attack a person or doxing a person or what have you. Um, this included extreme doxing and related attacks, which occurred long before Antifa and BLM were doing their thing with university students. Now, is Ballard guilty or not? I do not know, and finding data on him other than puff marketing pieces is very difficult to find. Now, the anti-trafficking, anti-pedophile group in Open Secret, you've all heard me mention them before, has been putting out data on Ballard actually for a number of years, including some very weird correlations, I've read some of this stuff, with Ballard's relationship with Mr. Dragon's Blood himself, Charlie Sheen, among others. Is this situation like a lot of what has since come out about the uh, Hollywood director, Brian Singer, where rumors about him are nearly confirmed despite massive non-disclosure agreements to buy people's silence? It's hard to say. Hollywood will always protect their own the same way Washington, D.C. protects their own because it's about the system rather than the acts in question. 
So to conclude on this particular topic, I'll note the following. Adam Rich stopped acting shortly after Eight is Enough went off the air in 1981. Now, he did do some voice work, uh, strangely enough, on an animated or cartoon, if you will, uh, show I was watching when I was still in middle school, uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. Uh, until 1985. And then at that time, he left Hollywood for good. He battled addiction and alcoholism for years until it finally took his life. Now, sadly, it was none other than his his television father, the actor Dick Van Patten, who had to bail him out of jail after he had been caught stealing drugs. You don't need trauma to become an alcoholic or have addiction problems, but it certainly can lead you down that road. Just ask Corey Haim. So with that, I'm going to move into the, the topic, not just of Peter Zehan, but a lot of things that relate to this. And as I often say, folks, this is going to be kind of a primer. Um, you know, I know Matthew Arrett brought it up on, on his show this week with, with V. And, you know, Matthew is usually the, the person who can really do a deep dive on this stuff where I'm just trying to give us a baseline of what's the terminology, what might be going on, et cetera. Um, now, I'm neither endorsing or not endorsing a number of people I'm about to mention. Uh, I'm trying to provide, you know, this primer. So, you know, Peter came up this week on our show. He's been on a number of programs of late. And specifically, some of the comments Peter's been making created an epiphany for me on Mexico that I should have realized to the degree I did uh, earlier. So, mea culpa. And we have to keep in mind that Peter Zehan is part of a much bigger picture than his recent interviews that have raised his visibility. Um, if you'll recall, I have mentioned Peter before on some prior shows. Now, I've listened to hours of his talks or his speeches, and I'm currently reading his book, uh, The End of the World is Just the Beginning. And as a relevant data point, I would point out, Zehan has said many times that he has felt Russia was forced into Ukraine Sorry, forced into war with Ukraine by NATO or the West. He's also said, as a sidebar, that he believes electric vehicles are, are a very dangerous idea and not in anybody's best interest as far as any kind of migration to what's our next fuel source after, after we stop using gasoline or similar. But I believe his recent appearances are part of something bigger, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and cover that uh, today with all of you. Bear with me just a second. Um, I would also, uh, kind of as a refresh, um, I had two programs on April 22nd. I had an 11 a.m. program where I was kind of going through the, the mechanics of international affairs, um, the various thinkers in that, in that discipline, et cetera. And then the noon show, which is kind of the typical uh, you know, content I do on Rogue News. I point that out in case any of you want to re-listen to some of what I'm, I'm about to talk about because I'm going to refresh a little bit of this. If you go to the Rogue News website and you're looking for those programs, just remember there were two shows that day, not, not one. So I had discussed with all of you um, kind of my view on, th on three models or three types of researchers in international affairs, history, and anthropology. And these boiled down to type one, the traditionalists, type two, the realists or the modelists, and the type three is elite dynamics. So traditionalists are basically high school history textbooks and undergraduate college courses. This is a baseline of accepted narratives. Uh, that approach assumes all world leaders are rational actors making rational decisions, and there's no other outside influences. Type two, the realists and the modelists, they start with the baseline from type one but they assess international affairs and economics based on non-traditional data. They focus on balances of power, demographics behind political behavior, which is also known as realism. 
and they will often leverage unique models to conduct analysis as well as those with new theories or analysis. And in the world of economics, demographics, uh, the folks over at Freakonomics uh, are a good example. Several people fall into this kind of type two category. Uh, these would include George Friedman. We'll talk about George in a moment. Peter Zehan, of course. Uh, Neil Ferguson, uh, Robert Kagan, uh, a guy named Robert Keohane. He's uh, Keohane is a big brain. And uh, uh, when I was studying at gra in graduate school, international affairs uh, with Air Force intelligence, uh, Keohane's work uh, is kind of a big foundation for international affairs or the or the way people approach these things. There's another guy named Nye N Y E. Uh, there's Ian Bremer. Uh, and many others. And then type three, elite dynamics, uh, you are here. This is Rogue News. Uh, this is us. This is Brendan O'Connell. This is the amazing Polly, a.k.a. Polly St. George. This is Mike Moore of True Pundit. And then there's a whole cavalcade of folks in this in this category. Um, folks like us, um, we take what the folks in type two have done, but we look for hidden elements of history or powerful actors behind the scenes. And to my knowledge, I've read a, obviously a lot of material by different different big names in the Type Two world, uh, including Friedman and Zehan, and they tend to view the groups that we often bring up here on Rogue News, whether it's uh, the London Corporation or the Atlantic Council. The list goes on. They view these as non-governmental organizations, which if you look at the United Nations are similar. You have a lot of groups that are what they call NGOs. And for them, they feel NGOs are just kind of people who comment on stuff. They're in the, they're in the rafters, but they don't really do anything. We, we disagree with that. And another example of the type two and type three kind of world is uh, very popular in the 1990s where the futurists, uh, Alvin and Heidi Toffler, uh, back in the 90s. And they wrote some very, very good books with future predictions. Uh, and they've also created a think tank that operates in Washington, D.C. I used to bump into that think tank fairly frequently. Uh, even after uh, Alvin and Heidi uh, passed away, and they were both almost like 100 years old when they passed away, um, their think tank to this day still rakes in a lot of money uh, in Washington and other places with future predictive models. Now, I really enjoyed their work, but the issue is, uh, even though they were light years better than type one researchers, um, they never included the World Economic Forum or the Atlantic Council or the Council on Foreign Relations or the Bilderbergers or intelligence agencies as part of their analysis. So for me, it's like you're trying to solve a complex math problem, but you took a major variable out of the problem. You're not going to, or the formula, you're not going to be able to solve, uh, what do you call it, what, what you're trying to understand. So Zeehan is an advocate of a branch of international affairs theory that's referred to as balances of power and what's known as real politique. Uh, real politique means whether right or wrong, powerful countries need to have their power balanced uh, or else you're going to have global instability. Uh, real politique kind of loosely means a practical approach to international affairs, uh, regardless of what you say your moral compass is. And to quote the character Gracchus, uh, from the 1960s movie Spartacus, who was the first senator of Rome. And, and you've heard me use this quote before. If a criminal has something you want, you don't persecute the man. You do business with him. Uh, Zeehan has become part of, um, or he became part of George Friedman's private intelligence firm, Stratfor, after the two of them had a philosophical argument in the early 2000s, and Friedman decided he should have Zeehan join the firm. Um, Stratfor operated with the same philosophy that, that George Friedman does. Uh, there are balances of power. Uh, the thing that always caught my attention with Friedman was, is he's a big advocate of not denying that, that geography 
is is far more important than than most of the big brains in international affairs want to give it credit for being. Um, and the other thing that also Friedman used to say often that always, always caught my attention was that in the West, history, like deep history, may not be as important as it once was. But for many people around the world, history and their history is the only worldview they have. Um, and of course, in the case of the West, a couple of world wars will do that to you, which is why Western Europe and the United States don't tend to focus much on kind of loosely put, how did we get here? And there's a massive backstory on, on Stratfor, and V and I both have had some uh, experiences with uh, Stratfor. Um, mm -hmm. When I was in Washington from 2005 to 2012, the big brains at RAND, you've heard me talk about RAND, MITRE, uh, Booz Allen, and others, really dug Stratfor's analysis. Um, loosely put, uh, the intelligence agents, and I'm giving you kind of the history of what happened with Stratfor. The intelligence agencies became highly embarrassed because around 2010, during a congressional budget meeting, they were challenged, the U.S. intelligence agencies were, on the billions of spend of taxpayers' money for what Congress was saying was poor intelligence data. And there was this, I say famous, it was a not public uh, hearing, but it quote unquote, got out in Washington. Um, congressional officials basically slapped the U.S. intelligence agencies in the head and said, why are we paying all this money for bus-sized satellites going around the earth spying on people when we can pay $130 a year to Stratfor and get something that really is more like actionable intelligence than what you're giving us? And that didn't go over well. So Stratfor was hacked, and we all realized who, who hacked them. And their internal emails, as well as subcri uh, subscriber personal detail, was leaked on the internet very quickly and very professionally, which in my book usually means <laughs> it's the U.S. intelligence community. Now, for me and V both, we had our private information blasted onto hackers' websites. And for me personally, it took a while to clean that up. I had to change some email addresses. I had to, to basically... I changed my gender. That's what really threw them off. There we go. And yeah. the flag, yes. Yep. Um, so yeah, I uh, I had to cancel some credit cards, pay them off, and then transfer the debt to other credit cards. I mean, I, I had to scrub a bunch of stuff. Now, a while later after those events, George Friedman left, and he created a new kind of think tank, if you will, called Geopolitical Futures. And the reason why he did that was his colleagues at Stratfor found they could make a lot of money without as much pain of government infighting by providing private intelligence for corporations. Now, that sort of thing's happened before, and not to tweak anybody's noses, but McKinsey is good, Boston is, Boston Consulting is good, Bain and Company are good. Those are the big people. You pay big dollars for those folks. I'm not kidding. That's like $400 an hour for their analysts to do the stuff they do. But Stratfor, to paraphrase Mike Moore over at True Pundit, he uses the phrase hooks. Stratfor's always had hooks with people that are on the ground in certain countries that are basically either on the payroll or they do them favors or whatever. Friedman didn't want to get away from the focus the company originally had, and so he bailed. And around that time, Zeehan went into free agency. Again, loosely, this is like 2011, 2012. And that's when Peter Zeehan started publishing books, started providing talks to groups like the Army War College, the list goes on. Now, Zeehan doesn't say it as bluntly as I'm about to, but it is the theme of his analysis, which is essentially this. If you're a powerful country, you have to take out challenges to your power early and without exception. 
It's about power, fairness and cooperation and win-win economic models like what Matthew Arrett often talks about, be damned. And he's not alone in that worldview. And that's the kind of thinking that says that the United Kingdom had to take out Imperial Germany and Imperial Russia during World War I because it was in the UK's national interest. Now, whether it's Zeehan, Tim Pool, Millennial Millie, Joe Rogan, or Tucker Carlson, I do agree with the view or the opinion out there that if you have a major media presence with a whole bunch of people listening to you, there's a reason. You simply cannot let anyone have a large audience and influence without powerful people in agreement that you should have such influence. Now, even if you're an alternative commentator like Joe Rogan, and I like Joe's stuff, you're backed by somebody. And in my opinion, I think Joe is backed by certain private equity interests in the Intel community or, or just plain old powerful people. But that's, that's, uh, that's my opinion. And uh, as an example, John F. Kennedy Jr., among other supposed reasons he may have been killed in that 1999 plane crash, was because his magazine, George, was giving him too much media influence. George was very popular. It was very well read on the, the East Coast. Uh, JFK you know, Jr. did not die. I just want to let you know that. Right. It's actually CJ. Yes. Um, the Can belief you... is, is that uh, if John F. Kennedy Jr. ran for president, which let's be candid, I mean, he was eloquent, he was good looking, and he was JFK's son. I mean, he'd win. Uh, the belief was is that if he ran for president, having his own media outlet, uh, shall we say, could complicate things. Now, Joe Rogan does great work with interviews across the spectrum of people, including his recent interviews of Graham Hancock, which goes back to my thing about why is Tucker Carlson interviewing the other Carlson now of all times. Um, but like I said, I, I firmly believe Joe's on somebody's somebody's payroll. And like Elon Musk's acquisition of Twitter, these events, as we often say here at Rogue, can be good, they can be bad, or they can be both. Now, in Zeehan's recent interview with Joe Rogan, one of the topics he covered was Mexico's current predicament, including the major firefight between one of the cartels and the Mexican government. And this is something near and dear to my heart, because way, way, way back, I wrote a ton of graduate papers along with Air Force intelligence people about Mexico, Mexico's government, Mexico's history, Mexico's defense situation, et cetera. And as I've mentioned on other shows, some of the defense conferences I used to attend through the conference group called AFCEA, A-F-C-E-A, um, the, the most effective element of Mexico's military is not who you would think, because many of Mexico's military officers are compromised by the cartels. The one group who isn't is the Mexican Navy. Now, I know some people, Mexico has a Navy? Yes, Mexico has a Navy. And they have detachments of special forces people inside Mexico's Navy who are phenomenal. They are really, really good. But there's no other way to say it. Their families, their wives, their spouses are all in the United States. They're all in other countries. To, to avoid them being compromised. Now, I commented on Discord that when I saw that we had a firefight breaking out in basically a, a suburb in Mexico, that I haven't seen that sort of thing in South America uh, since El Salvador back in the 1980s. I told all of you that, that I had listened to some, uh, what do you call it, air-to-ground communications during the, the Civil War in El Salvador where helicopter gunship commanders were telling each other to be careful where they were shooting because the rebels were like outside their, their actual homes in San Salvador where the rich neighborhoods were and like one of the pilots blew up the other guy's pool. So during that Joe Rogan interview, Peter Zeehan covered uh, former cartels and the new cartels who, who are overtaking them. And that's when suddenly the bulb went off in my head. 
The situation between the drug cartels and the Mexican government, we have to remember, from the 1980s and 1990s, it was violent at times, yes, but it was controlled. And, and this is the worst kept secret in South America. There was an understanding between Mexico's government, the United States, and the cartels for decades about how much drugs were going to be moving into the United States. And then all hell broke loose when the U.S. encouraged the Mexican government in the later 1990s to directly attack the cartels to try and destroy them. Now, normally in international affairs, we tend to call that sort of thing a civil war, but this is actually a native narco operation and open conflict with the domestic government like Colombia was in the 1980s. You could even make the argument, honest to God, everybody, that the current situation in, in Mexico is the following, where southern Mexico is under the control of the government of Mexico and northern Mexico is under the control of whichever cartel has control of that area. What struck me also was both the tactical and strategic nature of Mexico specifically. The tactical being this is part of a long-term tactic by the United States against Mexico since the later 1990s as part of a broader strategy. The United States keeps moving arms into Mexico and encouraging ongoing splintering of cartel factions to keep Mexico's government off balance. The cartels are now a useful tool like our own form of ISIS operating in Mexico for the same reason ISIS existed in the Middle East. And equally, in many ways, northern Mexico has become a parallel for those of you that are familiar with what was going on in the country of Lebanon in the early 1980s. Strategically, then, why would the United States do this? Now, many type 2 analysts like Friedman and Zihan, among others, have said for years the relationship between the United States and Mexico simply must become closer. And for them, it's a function of demographics along with other criteria. The United States needs the cheaper labor and Mexican, domestic Mexican production costs. Mexico needs U.S. technology and financing. Friedman has been very vocal, and I've read pretty, I don't think there's a George Friedman book he wrote, I didn't read, and there are others like him, who were saying 20 years ago that they were predicting several things. One, that it was a foregone conclusion that there was going to be some form of, we'll call it conflict, <laughs> others might call it war, between the United States and China, but that there was a long-term danger to the United States from Mexico. And this is where the strategy behind the tactics comes in. All of these analysts, and again, we have to remember, they're, in, they're the type two analysts. So they're looking at the world, or let's say communicating to their audience, a certain way the world operates, which we, type three people here at Rogue and others like us, don't agree with. These folks were predicting Mexico would become a more powerful country, more able to determine its own foreign policy. And they were putting this out there 20 years ago. These analysts went so far as to suggest Mexico honest to God, could demand the return of California, Arizona, New Mexico, along with other lands to Mexico. That's not going to happen if Mexico's perpetually kept off balance from narcotics violence. Now, let's be honest. If we really wanted to help Mexico stop the cartels, we could launch massive drone strikes across the country and keep decapitating cartel leaders the minute they appear. I mean, we did kind of perfect that approach and the technology in Iraq and Afghanistan, and by the way, a whole bunch of other countries that are not Iraq and Afghanistan, but we were doing it at the same time. Now, we would claim we trained and armed Mexico, and they did it themselves, but let's be honest, it'd be a U.S. military operation. And it's also possible as well that when a guy like Zihan is showing up on YouTube videos and Joe Rogan interviews, he's being marketed. Also remember, depending on the resource, you may be able to hear their message, Joe Rogan or wherever, but you are not their intended audience. 
Let me say that again. You are probably not their intended audience. I know V and I and others, we react a certain way when we hear the comments these folks are making. <laughs> yeah. As, as the old <laughs> saying goes, you're not the person to whom they're trying to sell no. that, that Chevy. That's a completely <laughs> different audience. And also, by the way, something that got lost in the sauce that caught my attention, folks, is George Friedman used to do a lot of interviews. He was on CNN. He was on Fox News. He was on all sorts of wonky interviews late at night. He was on C-SPAN. I haven't seen George Friedman anywhere for more than a year. Yeah. And he has more cachet than Peter. So, ironically, Peter may be marketed by people that he does not discuss in his work as being relevant, but he may, in fact, know these people are pulling the, the strings. And in fact, they may be running him because he is the kind of speaker who appeals to government and major corporate leaders, speaking to the point who's the audience. Whether that's the London Corporation, our friends in the Mossad, or some other group running Peter, well, we'll just have to see. Now, another takeaway on this topic is this. Oftentimes, many of us have heard or seen or even have family members who friends who say things to the effect of, quote, these non-governmental organizations like the World Economic Forum and the London Corporation, the Atlantic Council, or basically Henry Kissinger's disciples and others simply can't be influencing global events to this degree, unquote. Well, this is one of those moments where we kind of have our evidence that that, in fact, is happening. Consider the self-interest of bigger global entities like governments or big scientific research institutions or nonprofit aid organizations. The list goes on. Conflict and destabilization makes it very hard for those groups to be effective. It drives up their costs. It adds to their risks. And shall we say it's bad for business? The same is true of countries. If a situation could be developed where there's a win-win situation among governments, I'm channeling my inner Matthew Harrod, they would want to pursue that rather than what we have seen for the most part since the early 1900s. Now, consider an outlier that occurred from the 1900s to the 2000s, that being the trade regimes and conflict resolution policies the United States put in place after World War II. That wasn't perfect, and yes, it's been openly acknowledged. Yeah, the United States had its interests served by these things that the, that the country put in place. But overall, it was a fairer system than those that preceded it, or let's just call that the British. Put even more simply, it worked well for a lot of countries and major stakeholders globally. Yet somehow, behind the scenes, those organizations were eroded or downright destroyed. And it led to even greater global conflict. And that, by the way, led to greater global conflict when the Cold War ended, which you would think would lead to more stability. Now, maybe it was human apathy, but more likely it was by design. And when we consider international destabilization of Mexico, we have to consider also all of South America just the last year. Consider not just myself, but my colleagues at Rogue, but I know I've been saying it many times in 2022. Look at what's going on in Brazil, Colombia, Bolivia, Chile, and Peru. How many times have I brought up the thing about Bolivia where it's the overthrow of the weak as private equity is battling over all that delicious lithium they've got for electric batteries? Now, logically, who benefits from this much destabilization, and why are international institutions following World War II, but within the past 20 to 30 years, suddenly now so powerless to bring some stability? Well, as I covered last week in the book, uh, the report from Iron Mountain, which was satire, but it certainly explained a key piece of it, to oversimplify, because ongoing conflict is the DNA of the global system. 
Powerful players globally benefit in many ways from destabilization and a global system where scarcity is how they profit and sustain power. Having people around who provide very well-crafted narratives about that illusion in the world is how they hide truth. Is Peter Zeehan being used for that purpose? Again, we'll see. Traditionally, though, when the really big decisions have to be justified, you pull out the big-time experts to justify those decisions. Now, we learned during COVID, the quote-unquote experts of the people they used in front of the media flamed out spectacularly on the runway with simplistic explanations about what was going on with the disease and downright bullying of people. For something as critical as global war and moving to a digital economy, you need something as powerful as Jesus or aliens landing on the White House lawn. And when those options aren't available, well, you have that Joe Rogan interview with Peter Zeehan. I yield the floor, sir. As we all catch our breath. Yeah. <laughs> now, very well said, uh, uh, Velas. I think what you've uh, said today is a wonderful adjunct and highlight and some key details that we've been talking about. Uh, not only Zehan, but the entire framework and backdrop and context of this thing that you and I are very familiar with, which is private intelligence. And that is a thing. And those private intelligence serve broader uh, interests with uh, certain more, you know, governmental types, but no, I think you hit the, you hit the, the yeah, it is, it is a thing. And and the other point I would make folks, and I think V, you may have stepped away uh, when I covered this, but, but uh, during my, my conversation with all of you today, I brought up this thing about some of the big names in international affairs theory. If you read foreign policy magazine or, or current affairs magazine, or some of these, these, you know, big, graduate school international affairs study things these big brains like like robert keohane and nye and fukuyama who was the guy in the 1990s who called the end of the cold war the end of history that there would be no more history because everybody's just going to get along now um it has since come out and been made quite public folks that that you know i don't want to go down the mockingbird uh, operation mockingbird route with the cia but there's no other way to say it uh, many if not all of those big brains in international affairs theory, they're, they're all on the, they, it's it's documented. They're all on the U.S. intelligence community's payroll. Yeah. Now, let's be clear. Some of them are on the NSA's payroll. Some of them are on the National Reconnaissance Office's payroll. Some of them are on the CIA's payroll. The list goes on. But they aren't just, again, refer to my other comment about, we're not just going to let whomever get on the internet and have a massive following. Because even if you're talking about how to properly grow food in your backyard, you are in a position to dispense information in a way we cannot control. And we're Correct. not having that shit. Influence is a very powerful thing. And it's here, one of the here. things that they, that they really rile against. This, is the, this could be, and I'm not saying it is, but it could be a reason why two uh, British-American brothers are locked up in a jail in Romania. Yeah, influence is a powerful thing, folks. And the last thing you need, look, it's a, it's it's a known thing. You have, I mean, what is a revolution, right? It was once said by someone. What is a revolution? A revolution is when a group of men get together, and they're pissed off, and they have a common idea on what to do well, on what to do about it. So, that's the last thing that these powers need. Well, and, and as I made a mention to uh, JFK Jr. and Celeste 909, uh, easy girl, uh, about JFK Jr., um, it, that's not the only example. Um, I remember vividly in the 1980s uh, because, yes, I admit, I was a middle school, high school student who watched C-SPAN. I am that person. Anyway, um, I remember seeing C-SPAN interviews with Ross Perot. Oh, who, yeah. 
you know, founded uh, Electronic Data Systems (EDS), which which eventually ran in parallel with General Motors uh, IT operations. And EDS was a very good company, and they operated for a number of years and made a lot of money. And Ross started doing comments, as is often the case, about, it's kind of the same way Ronald Reagan did. He started doing these talks uh, at the press club in Washington, they had a little podium there, the Washington, D.C. press club. And, of course, he had his very folksy style in the way that he spoke. But he began by talking about the normal things you'd expect a center-right-leaning person, especially a business owner from Texas, to start talking about. Uh, there's too much damn regulation. Do you know how hard it is? You know, America's built on small businesses. How the hell are you going to pay anything without small business taxes? Uh, big corporations, I run one. We lay people off by the thousands because it's all about the numbers. You, 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 you got to change the regulations. And then all of a sudden, the, the wind started shifting. And Ross started talking more and more about, you know, if I ever ran for office, and it's like, oh, here we go. <laughs> so Ross Perot, uh, what do you call it, uh, did run for office. And the Republicans and Democrats both, to use my Babylon 5 analogy, uh, the Shadows and the Vorlons uh, ganged up on him because it's like, we're not having this shit. Not because it was necessarily what Ross... I mean, everything Ross said, if as I'm fond of saying, if we get the emotion out of it, and we're sitting in a bar just having a couple of drinks, everything Ross said is what you would expect any private business owner who, who gets it and knows what they're doing or any MBA program run by good professors would talk about. Yeah, there are things that need to be fixed, and, and they can be fixed, and here's how you would fix it, and here's how you would tackle it. But as I'm fond of saying, that wasn't the issue. That's only part of the issue. They didn't want to encourage anybody else to do what he did, whether at the local or federal level. And it also goes to something I've said about, and I know he's become a lightning rod more now than ever, with the Donald. There is, of the many narratives, there is something to be said for the fact that the other reason why Donald had to be dealt with was we can't have anybody, my God, this is like Ross Perot again. We've got this goofball who's got all this money and he's going to try and run for president my god he's he's cutting saying he's going to cut through the bureaucracy and the red tape and the set and the other we're not going to have that sort of thing he's not he's not an insider and we had even people like the rock saying they were going to run for office and matthew mcconaughey was going to run for office and then of course we heard nothing but crickets because the powers the machine woke up and said no 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 this is not happening we're not going to we're not going to deal with this. So Zeehan, um, and I know Matthew made a comment, which I agree with, which was, you know, uh, Zeehan comes across very confident. Uh, he's not, for the most part, I don't really think of an occasion I've ever seen him act this way. He's, he's not arrogant. Um, he has a very good speaking style. Um, you know, he kind of slows down. He's trying to make a point. He uses a lot of PowerPoint. And I've also noticed when he's talking to the Army War College people, because I've been in I've been in that world dealing with the government with the intelligence community, uh, the way his powerpoints are laid out are, are are at times rather different than the stuff he uses when he's talking to business leaders or others. He knows his audience. Um, now, is he a very sharp guy? He is. There's no other way to say that. But I mean, so was Stalin. Um, the the thing with him though is is that he is pushing now a narrative. And he's not John Bolton. He's not one of the Bush family. Uh, he look, you know, as the old saying goes, he looks good and he sounds good and he has executive hair. Um, but the the degree to which he's getting airtime is raising an eyebrow with me because, candidly, Stratfor. When I first started reading Stratfor material, I I will 
put this out there. When I read the Stratfor write-up on what led to the conflict between what we loosely call the area of Palestine and Israel, yeah. it was probably one of the most succinct, well-written pieces I'd ever seen in my life. Now, V is correct. There were a lot of hangers-on over at Stratfor, and they did have some young graduate students who thought, you know, uh, they were the cat's meow. And But the other end of it is, also behind the scenes at Stratfor, they had some people that were on the ground in foreign countries who really knew what was going on. This is part of the disclosure when they got hacked was these emails folks revealed that, I mean, you know, Stratfor, Stratfor had hooks inside major corporations. They had hooks inside even other intelligence agencies or even the Department of Commerce that were operating in certain parts of the world. So when they were doing reporting about, we think the following events are going to lead to this outcome, there was a hell of a reason why they were saying that. It wasn't just, oh, we've got really good analysts sitting in Texas drinking coffee. It's like, no. You spoke to people in that agency and know damn well that their goal is to accomplish the following. That's why you're right. So as the old saying goes, when they would issue a report and then a month later, whatever they said they thought was going to happen, happened. They looked like geniuses. It's like, well, yeah, but you were you were looking at the playing cards of everyone at the poker table. That's why. But I mean, that's that's good intelligence. But there there were many such groups as Stratfor who are not as well known. But yeah, Stratfor blew up on the blew up on the tarmac, and when I was in Washington, it was it was a very vocal, well known thing why that why that happened. That I mean, the commentary I used to hear in certain bars and stuff, as I'm fond of saying, where if you go on the right night and sit in the right corner, you'll you'll hear things. But the comment that was often said was, "I'm amazed George Friedman and every human being he has come in contact with is not dead." It's like yeah. Jesus Christ, are you? I mean, I know you guys didn't mean to. But it's like when, when Congress wants to make a point or people in the House of Representatives or the Senate want to make a point, they often struggle with a soundbite or whatever. But this, this is something you can't argue. I can pay for a subscription for 130 bucks a year and get really good analysis. This isn't Foreign Policy Magazine. This isn't Current Affairs Magazine. This is some good shit. Or I got to pay you guys billions of dollars, plus all those narcotics you're, you're moving across the United States to fund all the off-the-books work to put a bus-sized telescope up in orbit and look at China. Or I can just read Stratfor. It's like, I mean, basically the way, the way in this closed session, the way these, these U.S. government leaders when we're talking big money, even by the standards of government, they really hit these guys, forgive my language, they really hit these guys in the balls because it was oh, like, yeah. I, I, what, you know, I mean, <laughs> the rumor was somebody on that panel said, why do I need the CIA? I have Stratfor. And it's like, oh my God. <laughs> it's like John F. Kennedy is doing cartwheels in his grave going, no, no, don't go there. That, Oh God, no, <laughs> it's, it's not going to end well. Uh, I mean, all they did was hack these guys and embarrass everybody. It, it could have gotten a lot, lot worse, and it, and it didn't. But it did put everybody else on notice. Uh, you know, don't make your analysis. That was the other thing about Stratfor was the average person could just pay Stratfor and you could get this analysis. And I knew, I knew people in the private sector, worked in the auto industry out of Detroit, that they read anything that had something to do with where they had manufacturing plants. Again, the topic of today among many, Mexico, that gave them insights on what was going on in Mexico. Um, Rand is not going to cough that kind of data data up unless you're paying them millions of dollars. And they're sure as heck not going to give you a newsletter once a month for 130 bucks. So that was the other part of this was, is that we're not going to go after all of you in the private intelligence world. But you know what? Uh, you need to continue to operate by word of mouth with uh, privately paid bills to third-party law firms. Uh, but this public domain crap's got to stop. You, you're not, no. 
The last thing we need, as I've often jokingly said, the last thing we need is the public realizing what the hell is going on. Yeah. You're not in that line of work. Exactly. Exactly. Very well said, Velas. Folks, thank you all for listening in. Velas, thank you for being on. And folks, again, you can find Velas over in the Rogue News Discord. If you need to get into the Discord, just email CJ, CJ at roguenews.com, CJ at roguenews.com. And with that being said, we're over and out and enjoy your weekend. Your weekend. How do I end this? Oh, there it is. That's the button. There's a button. Oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs>